0: Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a mighty salvation for us in the house of his servant David. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I can't tell you what a tremendous joy it is for me to be back with you this morning and to see some faces that since I left a little over a year ago are new here. What great joy. I only wish that Catherine and Winnie Kate and Beatrice, who send their greetings, could be here with me to see you, to run down the center aisle again, and to play on the new playground, my goodness, that you have put in. We love you, we miss you, and I think of you often and pray for you from my perch high up in the library at the University of Notre Dame. Can I make a quick observation before I go any further? You have been quite busy. I'm so encouraged to watch from afar and see what faith you're showing in taking steps to serve children here with your parents' day out, to continue the work of planting seeds of renewal here in Oak Cliff and in Dallas and beyond. This church is maturing growing in stability by God's grace and Emily and Jordan's faithful service among you. As those empty nesters and grandparents here can probably attest, there is perhaps no joy greater as a parent than to see your children grow to maturity on their own. To see you today, I imagine, feels like a taste of that full-hearted joy. Been following along with the sermon series that Emily and Jordan have been taking you through in the Old Testament. And I'm honored that they opened the pulpit or the center aisle, as the case may be, for me to talk with you about David and the story of the Bible as a whole. Today we get three pictures of David in our readings. The first, in the first reading, is his crowning as king over all Israel. David unites the divided tribes under one kingdom. The second one in our second scripture reading, David leads a procession to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, where it would be residing until Jerusalem was later destroyed and taken into exile centuries later. David reigns with the staggeringly powerful presence of God at the center of his kingdom. This will be the center of my sermon today, too. The third image we see is from the psalm that we sang, where we hear David fresh off his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. There we hear how God's mercy and steadfast love are the foundation of David's audacious boldness to seek God's forgiveness and beg for God's covenant faithfulness to remain with him even after such blatant public failure. Through all this, we see that David, as a man after God's own heart, teaches us to live with God's abiding presence among us and is the prototype of the kind of kingdom that Jesus brings and is bringing in us. So let's start in the first reading with David king of a united kingdom. Many of us probably know the story of David the shepherd boy, picked from the sheepfolds by Samuel the prophet to fight the giant Philistine, Goliath, with Saul, the first king of Israel, who was terrified of taking that giant on. David shows faith in the God of Israel. He defies this giant Philistine simply because he would dare to mock the God of Israel. David's belief that God will work to vindicate his name is all David needs to step forward in faith. For many years, David lives his life from there as a king-in-waiting, sometimes accepted, sometimes pursued almost to death from an unstable King Saul, whose heart was ultimately upon the establishment of his own kingdom, his own power, his own glory, and at last had the kingdom and the power and the glory stripped from him and given to David, whom the scriptures call a man after God's own heart. Our first reading, we find David, after ruling as king in the southern kingdom of Judah, now crowned as king of all the tribes of Israel. See, from the time Moses passed and Joshua led these people into the promised land, it wasn't exactly wrong to speak of them as a nation— Israel, but they acted more like a collection of 12 tribes who wanted nothing more than their little corner of the promised land and a quiet life, please and thank you. But this quiet life eluded them. They fought with each other. They fought with their neighbors. They teeter-tottered between faithfulness to God and idolatry. It was a mess. While Saul brought An early bit of enthusiasm as king, all those pre-coronation promises ran up sadly short in Saul's kingdom. When David finally reigned as king over all Israel, the process of unification that had eluded those twelve tribes finally came home. They united around David, the righteous king, and his kingdom. Why? What does it say? The Lord said, it is you who shall be shepherd. Of my people Israel, you who shall be ruler over Israel. David, the shepherd boy, would shepherd Israel. But how? David, the shepherd king, would shepherd Israel following behind the ark of God, the presence of the God of Israel among them. In the second reading, we see David as the shepherd guiding the flock of Israel first and foremost into worship. The Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence had resided in glory in the tabernacle in the wilderness with wandering Israel, had been lost to the Philistines prior to the reign of King Saul. The Israelites had stupidly tried to use the Ark like some sort of divine superweapon, carrying it into battle as though its magical power would somehow grant them victory regardless of their faithfulness. But God's presence is not a tool that we wield for our purposes. Not at all. And never has been. The Israelites were defeated. The ark was taken into exile, placed in the temple of a false god, Dagon. Like a ten-year-old kid taking her parents' keys, starting the car and finding a way to get it into reverse and out of the driveway they not only endangered themselves, but the ark and everyone around them. The Philistines broke out in tumors. The statue of their God fell down face first and broke before the Lord of heaven and earth. And they finally sent it back in fear of the power of the true God. Where we pick up in the story, like some lost nuclear warhead gone missing and hiding in someone's closet, the ark had been hidden in the house of a priest. And David had united all Israel to join him in bringing this most holy vessel back to the tabernacle. David's kingdom at its core would be about God's presence taking the central place in the kingdom. David would long to build a house for God, that God would have a temple fitting to the glory of his name, and in response to this holy desire, God would promise David to build him a house in which David's son, not Solomon and not the ones after him, but another son, would be king before God forever. David is prophet, writing forth oracles of God in the Psalms as we receive them today. He is priest, bringing the people forward to offer sacrifice To God, he is king. It's a moment of triumph, a moment of hope for Israel. It's a moment filled with joy and with expectation that David, the shepherd of Israel, would lead the throne of God back to its rightful place. But God will not be led anywhere. We don't get it in our reading, and I don't know if you caught it in the second reading, but there's a little gap there. Verses 1 through 5 we read, and 17 and on we read. Verse 6 through 16 of that reading we skip for time. Right in the middle, this moment of unbridled joy, something terrible happens. One of the oxen pulling this new cart stumbles. The ark slips. It threatens to fall over onto the ground, spoiling this moment of glory. Uzzah, son of Abinadab, the one in whose house the ark had been residing, who, wherever they kept it, had grown used to in that time the presence of the ark in his midst. He reaches out his hand to stop it, to steady the ark. I'll just read what the passage says happened. Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, but the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark. He died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, How can the ark of the Lord come into my care? How can the ark of the Lord come into my care? Brothers and sisters, my beloved St. Augustines, this is the question God poses to each of us who would presume to come near, to worship, to live with the presence of God in our midst. We who handle in bread and wine the body and blood of the Word made flesh, God in the flesh, Jesus, who put in this little wooden box, this tabernacle behind me, this tabernacle of God's presence with us, the abiding presence of God the Son given to us by God the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit who abides in us and makes us one with Him in baptism into the body of Christ, the dwelling of God on earth, the temple of the living God of which we are members, bricks being built into a dwelling place for God. This living God will not be led by us. He will not bend to our will. We do not take this bread and this wine as a boost to our well-being, As a magic source of blessing, we apply to any part of our life as we will it. No, the presence of God is holy, a holy, consuming fire. And to live with such a presence in our midst is to live with a call to holiness. This is what David learns, his adultery with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah, her husband. What would be business as usual for a king in the ancient Near East? You see a woman, you take her. If someone stands in the way, take care of it. it becomes utterly unthinkable for the shepherd of Israel, who would live with the ark of God's presence in the middle of his kingdom. And David knows it. He saw Uzzah struck dead in his impertinence. How can the ark, the Lord, come into my care? Listen to what he says in our psalm that we sang, a reflection in the aftermath of this sin. Behold, you look for truth deep within me and will make me understand wisdom secretly. To live with the presence of God in, in your midst is to live with a consuming fire that would burn away the darkness of our broken desires, our disordered affections, our idols. This is what Christopher Bealey was talking about in our Christian Ed time just before we came together. And our desire to hide our shame, no matter the cost. After all, what is the murder of Bathsheba's husband if not the desperate cry of a shameful heart to find someone to pay the ultimate cost to hide your shame? this is where David, the man after God's own heart, is the king whose kingdom reveals God's heart. Because in David's reflection in Psalm 51 on his shame, his guilt, and God's mercy, he points the weary, sin-stained, shame-soaked soul to the grace and mercy of the son of David who was not yet born born in the house of God's servant, David. Generations after that, royal line was thought to be all but gone. Uriah, the poor innocent victim of David's desperation to hide his own shame, was at last unable to fill that need. You cannot kill your way out of this problem, David. But David's son, Jesus Christ, born of Mary, descended from David, born in the house of Joseph, David's Descendant, back in Bethlehem, the house of David. He would be the king, who would not only proclaim a kingdom where God's presence would be the center. He would be greater than the ark, greater than the tabernacle, more than priest, more than prophet, more than king. He would be the sacrifice. He would be the temple, torn down and rebuilt. He would be God with us. And by the grace of God, David knows it. Here again, Psalm 51. The sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Be favorable, gracious to Zion. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the appointed sacrifices, with burnt offerings and oblations, then they shall offer young bullocks upon your your altar. And here we offer to God, not bulls and goats, but ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy and living sacrifice unto him. In the faith that God with us is with us in that sacrifice and offers us his body and his blood broken for us, poured forth to blot out our shame and our careless thoughts that we might bend this mighty power that spoke the heavens and the earth into being, that we might bend it to our will. No. Let us receive him. Let us learn from David, forefather of our shepherd king Jesus. Let us learn to allow this consuming fire to do God's work within our midst. May this church and the one holy Catholic and apostolic church as a whole be united into one kingdom centered on the worship of our one king, the holy consuming fire that dwells in our midst. May God's presence renew us, remake us in God's image. Create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me.